I'm Nick Park from Evangelical Alliance Ireland and this is file number six of the XXXY files looking at gender and sexuality from a biblical viewpoint in truth and love. This is file number six, Culture Wars. When we as Christians find ourselves in disagreement with other people in wider society, the term culture wars crops up pretty quickly. When we talk about culture wars, it's important to understand what we mean. I've heard people say that the campaign to get slavery abolished or Martin Luther King's fight against racial segregation were culture wars, but that betrays a fundamental misunderstanding. The term was originally coined in 19th century Germany, Kulturkampf, during a dispute between the government and the Catholic Church. It was all about having the power to force your views on those who disagreed with you. Chancellor Bismarck was a Protestant who distrusted Catholics and wanted to enforce power over what priests were allowed to preach about, and even over church appointments. Today, when we talk about culture wars, we aren't actually talking about morality, about right or wrong. We're talking about political partisanship, about right or left. It's all about power. Who has the power to force the other side to submit? Culture wars also tend to look back to a mythical time in history when everything was wonderful. Let's make Ireland a Christian country again. Let's make our country great again. But if we look back honestly, there were lots of things back then that were absolutely horrible. The problem with culture wars is that they represent religious people fighting as hard as they can to maintain their own positions of power and dominance. And there are several reasons why we should refrain from doing this. Firstly, culture wars are wrong on principle. It is profoundly unchristian to try to enforce our religious values on others. We object loudly when others do it to us, such as the imposition of Sharia law in the Islamic world. So there's no justification for us behaving the same way when we get the opportunity. Secondly, culture wars don't actually work. The church nearly always ends up losing. Even on the few occasions when we win, we still end up losing. For example, when Christians managed to persuade the United States Congress to pass the Volstead Act in 1919, followed by the 18th Amendment in January 1920, it seemed like a great victory. The sale of alcohol was banned throughout the United States, and Billy Sunday, the famous baseball player turned evangelist, declared, The reign of tears is over. The slums will soon be only a memory. We will turn our prisons into factories and our jails into storehouses and corn cribs. Men will walk upright now, women will smile, and the children will laugh, and hell will be forever rent. Yet 14 years later, prohibition was repealed after spawning a wave of lawlessness and creating lucrative careers for gangsters such as Al Capone. Today, almost all historians agree that prohibition was a disastrous failure as a social experiment. Another reason why the church should avoid fighting culture wars is that it hinders us from being a prophetic voice. It seems to any per perceptive onlooker as if the church is trying to maintain its grip on power, and that slowly but inevitably its hands are being prized away finger by stubborn finger from the steering wheel of society. The end result is that even when we have something worthwhile to say, no one listens to us because our credibility is gone. 
And if the church loses its credibility, then society itself is the poorer. For at its best, the church can still be a powerful voice for good. That was demonstrated in the campaigns for the abolition of slavery on both sides of the Atlantic, in the campaigns to stop childhood prostitution in Victorian London, and in the prophetic voice of Martin Luther King as he used nonviolence to confront the evils of racial segregation in 1960s America. But these victories were not won by Christians taking us back to the past when the church had more power to impose its views on others. They were won by Christians pointing the way to a better future in a way that even non-Christians found inspiring. Culture war warriors tend to use scriptures that are threatening judgment, that are all about thou shalt not. But when Christians change society for the better, they use scriptures that are full of promise, hope and freedom. We need to change, yes, but that change is a doorway to blessing in life. Culture wars use the language of fear. We must win this war because everything else is a threat against us, to destroy us, to take away our power. So we have to crush our opponents. We have to make them look foolish, cruel and hypocritical. We find demeaning insults for them. And meanwhile, we ignore our own failings or we make excuses for them. We idolise secular politicians who are deeply unpleasant and frequently immoral, but it's okay because they're going to help us win the culture war and get our power back. God didn't call us to fight culture wars. He called us to live and proclaim righteousness. He called us to declare truth, hope and justice. We are not to use fear to batter our opponents into submission. We are to show them a better way so that they end up joining with us, not because we gained political power over them, but because they realise that what we're saying actually makes sense, even to those who don't share our religious convictions. That's how slavery was abolished. It wasn't about whipping up fear or trying to get back to some wonderful age when the church had more power. It was about leading all kinds of people, both religious and non-religious, forward into a future that made their lives and society more worthwhile and meaningful. So how can we make a real difference to society when it comes to sexual morality and gender? By living out righteousness and holiness. By showing that marriage as God intended it to be doesn't produce angry, frustrated, fearful people, but it produces fulfilled people who are loving, kind and gracious People who understand who God made us to be and who aren't always lashing out at those who disagree with us. This is why I said in our last episode that it is not helpful to keep using the issue of transgender athletes as a convenient tool to bash those who are already unhappy and confused. In a culture war, we hold those people up as deserving of mockery. We appear to despise them. We sound like we hate them or are afraid of them. But when we lay aside our culture wars, we learn how to speak truth in love. We want to promote fairness and we can actually do that better when we stop treating others as our enemies. One last thought on this issue of culture wars. In wars, there are casualties. People get wounded and hurt. And the more cruel you appear to be in a war, the more cruelty you receive when you're on the losing side. The church is losing the culture wars. Christians no longer have the power we once had to force others to live 
outwardly at least, by our values. But I happen to believe that Christian values and Christian truth have a beauty and a power all of their own. So even if we lose the culture wars, we still have a message worth holding on to, something that we can still offer to others for them to choose for themselves. But if we've decided to make the culture wars what we're all about, then don't be surprised if others try to prevent us from holding to our values, to stop us from sharing them with our children, to silence us so we can't offer them in love to others. Because that's what happens to the losing side when they lose a war that they chose to start. I want to see Christians understanding and living by the word of God. I want us to have the freedom to explain our beliefs and values to others and pass them on to our children. I want us to become better at sharing truth with those who don't yet know Jesus. So I am committed to finding better ways of doing all that because fighting culture wars doesn't help us to do any of this. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. And that starts with ourselves, by understanding the power of righteousness and holiness, not as a stick for us to beat the unrighteous sinners around us, but by living the kind of lives that genuinely display the character of God. Feel free to get in touch with me at nick at evangelical.ie. As I say each week, I want to avoid misunderstandings, and if there are aspects we're missing out and need to cover, then I'd love to know about that. When I teach this kind of material in a seminar or a conference, then we usually have question and answer sessions. So please do feel free to get in touch if you need something clarified or have a concern, a criticism or a word of encouragement. And do join us next week for message number seven in the XXXY files. I'm going to be talking about the early church, discovering righteousness and holiness as the keys to overcoming the darkness and depravity of the most powerful empire in history. And why our failure in these very same areas is stopping us from bringing about a similar transformation today. <laughs>